According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 7 this morning. Proverbs chapter 7, and we are watching a drama as we read through these verses. And it's the the same message we've been having (laughs) throughout this book. Um, There are five discourses on fornication in the book of Proverbs, in in these first uh, nine chapters. And uh, these first nine chapters of Proverbs is what I call the parental wisdom uh, section of Proverbs. And in these nine chapters, there are seven, I'm sorry, four of these discourses against immorality, sexual immorality, or what we call fornication. And this is the longest of those five discourses. And and no surprises, really. It says the same thing all the other ones say, <laughs> right? Don't do it. Um, but it does so now in a dramatic fashion. It does so as David looks out his window and he watches this knucklehead, this Pethy is his name. I call him Pethy. He is... Um, among the naive and uh, among the youths, a young man lacking sense. And he's spotlighted there in verse 7. And then the verses that follow uh, give kind of the description of, of what Pethy is doing uh, at all hours of the day and night so he can get into the, the trouble that he gets into. So uh, this uh, discourse is framed by a prologue and an epilogue. The first five verses form the prologue. And uh, the following, basically the conclusion, verses 24 through 27, form the uh, the epilogue to the uh, to the message all right so we've covered point one did i pray yet i did not pray yet man i'm getting so excited about my vacation i'm not even thinking about what's going on all right let me let me say a prayer Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for this time together this morning. I ask for your hand of blessing upon our study, that you would set aside distractions, Father, that you would bless your brothers and sisters, your your children, Father, that have come together to receive instruction. Bless us in the truth of your word this morning. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we introduced it in in point one. We showed you where the other uh, discourses are in chapter two, five, six, and nine, all relating to these issues. And there's a reason why it's given over and over and over and over again, because when you're trying to instill these values within your children before they leave home, before they step into their own generational accountability, they have to have it grounded and, and pounded and and, and uh, reinforced, you know, forced and enforced and reinforced uh, every chance you can so that uh, the matter becomes clear. Because this is not just mean parents want, uh, telling their children things so they don't have any fun. This is actually the blessings to be able to communicate the truth of God's word for the preservation of their soul. Uh, the, the fornication is soul hunting is, is what it does. And uh, we, uh, we've seen that in pr- uh, previous exhortations and we're going to see it here because she's lurking in verse 12 by every corner as it says and she has a desire for souls is the the price that gets paid he does not know the cost 
And, uh, and there too, I think, is a fundamental issue because we tend to conflate the term of price and cost. And we realize that price and cost are different issues. And when we talk about the price that we pay and the cost to our soul, uh, there's a lot of damage that gets done when we fall short in these, in these regards, see. And, uh, we'll have more to illustrate on that as we, as we move forward. The reminder about treasuring the Word of God from verse 2. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching is the apple of your eye. If we're going to treasure the Word of God in our hearts, this was a realm of doctrine that we studied in chapter 2 because the uh, the principle came up there. I just cut and pasted the notes of what we looked at when we were dealing with the, the Tzafan vocabulary from chapter 2. Um, but this is probably most famous in, in Psalm 119. Thy word I have hid in my heart. I have treasured in my heart. I have Tzafan in my heart. Meaning that it is God guarded and it is regarded. I have it in a very special place that in my thinking it's always accessible, but it's always protected. All right? I know exactly where it is. It is safe, it is secure, but it is accessible. That's that's the key to the tsafan, to the treasuring, and uh, that I might not sin against thee, it says in Psalm 119 and verse 11 other aspects there. It may be uh, useful to learn the, the applications that don't apply to the Word of God, like hiding two spies on your roof. Okay, that's Joshua chapter 2. And uh, where Rahab, by faith, saw fan, she hid the spies. And that was for their safety, for their protection, so that she knew where they were, so that she could keep them from being arrested by the uh, the soldiers there. Likewise, Moses, in the uh, as a baby, was hidden and uh, floated down the the Nile River in the babies. That's the Exodus two example there. Anyway, uh, the apple of the eye, the pupil of the eye. We discussed that as an idiom, and folks use it a lot, and mo- even in uh, modern English, and, and don't realize that it's a. Uh, a biblical expression, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye, it says there in verse 2, meaning it's the particular place of observation and affection. Really the word is pupil, and pupil is not nearly as romantic or poetic as apple of your eye, but it means that it's in the forefront of your, your vision, that that's where you are focused on. And it's you're, you're locking in, you have eye contact, your pupil dilates, in other words, as you focus in on what it is you're looking at, and it means that it's right there, I didn't mean to point, but it's right there, and it's not off to the side in your peripheral vision, see. And I think most carnal Christians, most worldly believers, um, are happy to have kind of a Christian culture, but they don't want to spend much time looking at the Word of God. And so they can keep some kind of helpful tips or some Bible promises or some little you know ditties or whatever, golden rule, and, and, but they keep it in the peripheral vision because really what, what the eyes are fixed on is the world. The eyes are fixed on the world in which they live and all the fun they're having and, and the different things they're pursuing. No, the apple of the eye is a particular place of observation and affection. And it's very clear, you know, you can you, you look at you know, you look at newborn or, or parents with a newborn child and, and, and you can tell they're looking at this infant, they're looking at this baby and they're they're so happy and they're blessed and then you know we had the, the, the two baby dedication last Sunday and, and you know it's clear that the parents are very fond of those of those little guys, right? Well who wouldn't be? But that's the idea is that it's the apple of your eye. You look at this this person or this thing or this whatever, and, and you've got fondness and you've got affection and you've got um, just a, a true sense of, of wonder. 
That's the apple of the eye. And God keeps us there in his eye. He keeps Israel there in the Old Testament. Israel is the apple of, of Jehovah's eye in, uh, in the Old Testament revelation. Finally, last week, I think we wrapped up the last points under main point four, the idea of live. That is not only a consequence, but it is an imperative. It is an imperative. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my commandments and live. All right? That's an order. Okay? Like a drill sergeant saying, that's an order, private. All right? Keep my commandments. And it's not, I'm trying to get away from the, the concept that the only imperative there is keep my commandments and then live as the result of keeping my commandments. Because that is true. It is true that it is a result of keep my commandments. It's a result of all of the imperatives throughout the section, though. And live is in itself, likewise, we can accept it on an imperative basis. We can accept it with the imperatival force that God is commanding us to live. He is commanding us to live the life that he supplies. And uh, and there, too, I think we do better. Um, but it's, it's, it's in the Old Testament. It's not simply a facet of New Testament Greek vocabulary. Uh, but I'm thankful that in the Greek we have a distinction between our bios life, or bios life, and our zoe life, right? Bios is our biology. That's what we have when we're born. That's our physical life. That's our daily earthly life is bios. But zoe is our eternal life. It's zoe that we receive when we place faith in Jesus Christ. And so in, in the Greek anyway, there's, there's a neat distinction there between uh, contrast that we can draw between bios and zoe. It's not as simple in the uh, Hebrew in the sense of the, the living, the chayah or the chayim, right? You, you do the Jewish toast, l'chayim, right, to life. Well, but we want to understand also, even in the Old Testament framework, l'chayim, you don't have the fullness of life without Christ, without the Word of God. See, and that's why you have that imperative to revive me according to your Word. Cause me to live. And we find that the imperative sense, when you, when you start getting into the, the hifel stem and the nifel stem and the other aspects of, of that verb, cause me to live. Okay? Cause me to live. And this is somebody who is already living physically, but he wants God and the Word of God to cause me to really live, to live in the fullness, as Jesus said, that they may have life and they may have it in abundance. Okay? And so keep my commandments and live in, uh, in that imperative, I think, is, uh, is an important thing to work our way through. All right, well, there's four subpoints in that. I'm going to skip over that for this morning because we've covered it already, and move on now to main point five, the actual narrative. And we started this a week ago, and I want to get right back to it here this morning. Unique to this admonishment is the story narrative of what David could see from his window. And really, I think this is then the pattern for what becomes an entire book of the Bible. This chapter then becomes a pattern for Song of Solomon. It becomes a pattern for a drama, for a narrative in several acts, whereby the principles of sexual purity are portrayed within the boundaries of romance and courtship and marriage and um, the other the other issues there. Okay, and if you want more on that, again, we've got notes available. But uh, it's a dramatic portrayal of the principles. All right, And so you can preach and preach and preach and say, don't fornicate, don't fornicate. But here is a, a, a drama that's played out to watch what happens with this young man as he 
does what he does like uh, like the fool that he is. Okay, and uh, like I say, it's unique among these among these uh, discourses and proverbs, but not unique in all of Scripture because we got the book of the Bible right there in terms of Song of Solomon that portrays the blessings of marital love and the snares of non-marital. Okay, which I prefer to keep simple. It's either marital or non-marital. It's I, I think it's dumb that we have things like premarital or extramarital or I mean. If it's not marital, it's non-marital, and that's uh, that's what it is. And if it's not marital, it's fornication. That's what it is. See, so we have the return of pethy. Subpoint A is our vocabulary for the naive or for the simple, and this is pethy. And pethy we were introduced to in chapter one, and saw quite a bit of pethy in chapter one. The vocabulary is pethy. P e t h i y. It's a Hebrew noun. Number 6612 and number 6615. It actually has two different Strong's numbers because of the way James Strong's assigned those numbers. I, I would probably just lump them into the same word and call it good. But anyway, 18 uses of 6612 and, and one use of 6615 in the uh, Strong's Concordance. And the uses here. Now, we ran out of time and didn't look at all these, but let me just grab a, a short sample uh, in Proverbs 1, beyond Proverbs, we have Psalm 19, Psalm 116, and Psalm 119. So there are three uses in the Psalms. But in Proverbs chapter 1, we realize it's a purpose for the book of Proverbs. As the book is introduced here in Proverbs chapter 1, and they're called the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding. And as we, as we study this, you remember that these, these prepositional phrases, to know, to discern, to receive, to give, uh, that all of these are the purposes of the book. Why do I study Proverbs? Why does God give Proverbs to his covenant people in the Hebrew canon? And so with each one of these expressions, we can say the purpose of the Solomons of Proverbs, that studying Proverbs will do this to you. Studying Proverbs will allow you to know wisdom and instruction. Studying Proverbs allows you to discern the sayings of understanding. Studying Proverbs equips you to receive instruction in in wise behavior. Righteousness, justice, and equity. Studying Proverbs equips you and actually gives you prudence to the naive. And that's pethy. That's our introduction to pethy right there. Okay, And so the value of Proverbs, the reason why Proverbs can be used in grounding even the youngest of children. You can use Proverbs in your Sunday school curriculum. You can uh, make uh, many verses out of Proverbs uh, a feature of Scripture memory. See, Because this is what it will do to you and for you in studying the Proverbs. A couple more uses down in verse 22. As, uh, let's see, the context here, I guess I'll pick up in verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. You know, doctrine is not quiet. (laughs) When God wants to get his point across, he's shouting. The word of God is alive and powerful. And any human being that wants to act like, oh, I didn't hear what he was saying, is just deluding themselves. Because wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O pethy? Okay. 
I guess I ought to make that plural, pethi. (laughs) How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? How long do you love this? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. And uh, there's so much that we unwrap out of that one particular verse, but this question of how long is rather indicative of the fact that uh, you're, it's about time. Okay, It's too long, actually. That we all start off pethy, we all start off innocent and ignorant and, 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 and stupid, and you know, we got to learn, as children, you know, we grow, and, and we reach a point where we shouldn't be childish, right? We, 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 should, we should grow beyond the naive, and, and Proverbs is designed to do that. Doctrine is designed to do that. And if for some reason we are intentionally prolonging that, if for some reason we are deliberately stunting our own growth because whatever reason, all right, and why would people do that? Well, they don't like the responsibility. They don't want to feel accountable. They, you know, like man, with you know, adult capacity, you gotta you start taking adult consequences for your your dumb decisions, and so you can try to prolong your your adolescence or try to prolong your childhood as if you can delay the accountability. Give that up, okay? How long are you going to do this? And those who do prolong it beyond what's appropriate. Look who they're lumped in with. They're lumped in with the scoffers. They're lumped in with the, the fools. All right. By now you should have a foundation in truth so that you're not lumped in with the scoffers and the fools. So, I mean, it's we can laugh at kids when kids say st- stupid things because it's cute. But when an adult says a stupid thing that he should know better, that's not cute. That's pathetic. And uh, we have the admonishment there. The last one is chapter 32. The waywardness of the naive will kill them. You know, there's a hedge, there's a protection. One of those Psalms references says he gives grace to the simple. He protects the simple. But while they're designed to be simple, he gives grace to the simple. If you should be growing out of that, then don't expect that that grace lingers forever. He's going to start to hammer you for your own uh, willful rejection of his design, of his plan. So uh, that psalm doesn't sit by itself. You have to match it up with what it says here. Uh, the, the waywardness of the naive will kill him, and the complacency of fools will destroy him. And so there's, again, there's pethy. Um, we'll have more to say on pethy moving forward, because he comes back uh, in chapter 8, chapter 9. In fact, several uses there in chapter 9. Let me grab those, and then we'll let this slide go for now. Proverbs 9. But you'll notice... Not only is pethy a problem, who should have grown out of it by now, but pethy is also a victim. Pethy is a target. Think about who the devil targets. Think about who he picks off, right? You ever watch the National Geographic Channel or whatever? Uh, you know, you, you, got, you got a herd of wildebeest or whatnot. And then there's lions. They're not, they're not going after the toughest, strongest one they can find. They're picking off the, the weak ones, the sickly ones, the, the, the babes, the, the ones that can't fight back, okay? The easy ones. And that's what, uh, what happens here. Because uh, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. Well, that sounds very domestic. That sounds very safe. That sounds very boring to the carnal mind. See where I'm going here? 
She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city because, yes, this is a place of refuge. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food, drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. And so here is a very proper invitation and here is the right venue for Pethy to find protection, for Pethy to find uh, truth, to be nurtured, to grow, to stop being Pethy, okay? to grow beyond that, to start to, to enter from you know, the adolescent stage to the adult stage with the boundaries of what God has provided. And the problem is, of course, if you reject that, then there's other voices, other invitations, not the proper ones, the the seductive ones, the the other woman. And that's introduced now in verse 13, the woman of folly. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is pethy and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house. Now here's an entirely different environment. Here's an entirely different picture of existence, all right? It's not what God designed. And, and it's, oh, come on, it'll be fun. <laughs> it's exciting. Live a little, come on. And that's the, it's the same message. I mean, here's Proverbs, 3,000 years old. And it's still alive and powerful today with the same kind of lies that, that we're told, our children are told, everybody's told. So she sits at the doorway of her house on a high on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight, at least they're trying, and whoever is pethy, let them turn in here. See, pethy is her target too. Pethy is her target so that pethy doesn't get rescued and, 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 apply and, and get under doctrine, see, get under Bible teaching. To him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet. Oh, come on, it'll be fun. Stolen water. Never mind drink water from your own sister and rejoice in the wife of your youth. The, the uh, metaphor we had in chapter 5 where we're drinking water was the metaphor for marital sex. Stolen water. Oh, now, now we're talking. Now we're having fun. Not that old boring stuff with just you know, monogamy or monotony or whatever when they try to mock it and they try to say that that's not, uh, that's not any good. Come on, how, this, uh, this will spice things up. This will be fun. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So, yeah, we'll have more pethy in, uh, in chapter 9 throughout that whole narrative when we get to that point. Chapter 14, chapter 19, 21, 22, 27. Pethy uh, makes a lot of appearances through the book of Proverbs. But now I want to talk secondly now about this idea of Chaucer. Okay? Not Geoffrey Chaucer, <laughs> not, not the uh, English that's even harder to read than Shakespeare. No, I'm talking the Hebrew verb of chaser, all right, chaser, and it means to lack. And in this case, it's rather idiomatic when it says lacking heart, okay, we gotta, that, that may throw us. Because today, we get accused of lacking heart all the time by being, you know, Biblicists are being cold and heartless and, and whatever, and you don't, you know, you lack heart because whatever. 
Um, and so the idiom doesn't doesn't work for us in, in modern times, but it worked for them, okay? The idea of lacking soul, meaning that your soul is so damaged, your heart is so damaged, that you even lack the capacity to operate in spiritual realms. All right? If you think about that in those terms, that might help. Or just forget the whole Hebrew imagery and just go with lacking sense. Okay, just go back to the pethy mindset of uh, this guy's an idiot. Okay, that he doesn't have the sense that the common sense that that God gave a billy goat, right? And and if that works for you, then just go with that. This guy is just as as thick as a box of, box of rocks or whatever. He's like a turkey in the rain. You know how dumb turkeys are. The, the the raindrops hit him on the head, and they wonder what is that hitting them on the head. So they look up to see what's hitting them on the head, and then they drown. You know, I mean, how dumb is that? Well, this dumb, okay? Uh, so the idiom of, of uh, chaser combined with lev, or lavav, 11 times we have the idiom throughout Proverbs where uh, the person is chaser, is lacking, is lacking a heart or lacking sense, okay? And, uh, and that's a problem because we are completely accountable for how we think. And if, if we are not being equipped to think properly, we're accountable for that too. So lacking sense. So this here's point B, lacking sense, or literally heart. The verb is chaser, C-H-A-C-E-R. It's the long A, the long E, in both cases, the long vowel, chaser. 26.37 is the uh, verb, and 26.38 is the noun, or the adjective. Um, and I don't know, we'll spend a whole lot of time on this because I think we know what it means to lack, but there's some great promises though about not lacking and I I like to share those. So, uh, we start with Genesis 18 and it's, it's almost a throwaway use or it's used in passing, but remember what's happening in Genesis 18. It's the first thing you think of in Genesis 18. Abraham is praying for Sodom. Okay? The Lord and these two angels have arrived and they're going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, rather than cheer and celebrate and be happy about it, Abraham's got a problem because Abraham has a nephew that lives there. And Abraham loves Lot and he wants Lot rescued. And so he's praying, he's interceding. And in the prayer, interceding, he's, he's basically bargaining with, with God. And the first thing he says is, you know, if, if there's 50 believers there in, in Sodom, are you going to destroy all them in addition to the we don't know what the population was of Sodom. There's different estimates. There's 100,000 people there. Are you going to destroy them, the, the 50 as well? Okay. It's a fun chapter. I love preaching the chapter. But as um, Abraham, in verse 23, comes near and says, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Okay. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And this is, as a, as a feature of his prayer life, it's something that he cannot grasp. Okay? Now, I believe there are occasions when the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And God is not unjust when, when, the, when the righteous get wet. Yeah, because the rain falls on them, right? The judgment falls. That if, if, if our nation comes under divine discipline, believers suffer right along with the unbelievers in that. Likewise, there's blessing by association. Unbelievers are blessed by the Christians they hate living in their, in their culture. Okay? Biblical Christianity blesses America, even the atheists. Anyway, 
But will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And his in Abraham's judgment, that's not right. Far be it from the, the judge of the universe to do this. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? Now it's interesting because his attitude, I understand his attitude, and his attitude is in keeping with Job's critics. His, his attitude is in keeping with some of the elemental things of the world. The uh, stoicheia we've been studying in the book of Galatians that says bad things happen to bad pe- people, good things happen to good people. Um, there, there could be a doctrinal remedy to instruct Abraham better in his approach, but that's not what God does. All right, He is accepting the prayer of Abraham based on what Abraham was asking for, based on where Abraham's faith was, and ultimately in accord with where Abraham's heart was. Because what he really wants is to rescue Lot. <laughs> okay, And it's not, it's not uh, he's not taking the occasion to correct Abraham in some doctrinal deficiencies here. Okay? And I'm not really blaming Abraham because he doesn't have a New Testament like we do. He doesn't have any canon. What, what Bible does Abraham have? There's no canon in Abraham's day and age. So, shall not the judge of the, all the earth deal justly? Absolutely. He is the judge of all the earth. He is absolute righteousness, absolute justice. He will never do anything unfair, including the destruction of Sodom. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. He answers the exact prayer. Yes, I will save Sodom if there's 50 righteous. And this is where uh, Abraham uh, realizes, oops, <laughs> um, I might have I might have overestimated here. You know, if I've if I sh- I kind of prayed too fast, I should have thought this through. <laughs> okay, um, so Abraham replied, "Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five, and that's our verb. That's chaser in the in the context of." this passage. So suppose the 50 righteous are chaser, lacking five. I might have overestimated. You, you won't destroy the whole city because of five, or in other words, 45, because I, I misguessed it by five. And Yahweh said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Okay. But he said, well, <laughs> he spoke to him yet again and said, well, suppose, the, suppose 40 are found there. And now what's he really doing? Yeah, he's bargaining the Lord down. It's like an auction, right? And he's bargaining them on down. I can name this tune in three notes. Whatever. He's bargaining the Lord down. But he's never getting around to saying what he wants to really say. Is that, is that, is that kind of sad? Do we do that in our prayers? Do we beat around the bush? Do we kind of hint at certain things? Or do we just come right out and say because he knows what we need before we even ask. What are, what are we being cagey about it for? So um, suppose 40 are found there. He said, I will not do it on account of 40. Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. I mean, what's he really doing? Is this, is this a mature prayer life? What is this? You know? Anytime my child comes to me and says, Dad, don't be angry. 
Okay? And I've got four children, and I've heard this before, more than once, okay? You, you, you realize there is a discussion that's about to ensue that has been introduced with, Dad, don't be angry. All right. <laughs> and why would they think that? When have I ever been angry? All right. Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. How patient is our God? Keeps answering, keeps answering, keeps answering, keeps answering. And he said, now behold, I venture to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. So I will not destroy it on account of 20. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. And I shall speak only this once. And here's where he's really, 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 really wrong. Okay. Now, how many times has he prayed? 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. He stops with his sixth prayer. You know, I, I kind of think a seventh prayer would have been kind of cool. Seven's the number of perfection. And, and what he really wanted to get down to one righteous, right? Lord, is there one righteous guy in there? Or does his name happen to be Lot? And why does he just come right out and say, Father, can you save Lot? He just never gets there. Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Now, he did that himself. God never said, all right, Abraham, I'm, you're, you're pushing my limits here. I'm, 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 I'm running out of time, Abraham. I'm up to here with your debates. I'm up to here with your bargaining. God never says, Abraham, that's it. You got one more shot. The Lord never tells Abraham, by the way, I'm like a genie in a bottle. You get three wishes. Now you're done. He never tells Abraham to shut up. Never says last chance. Never says, this is your last prayer. Abraham himself says, this is my last offer. Take it or leave it, right? I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. He said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. And he walks away. As soon as he finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. But he walked away because Abraham himself ended the, uh, the negotiation. Yeah. Now, <laughs> Anyway, it's uh, it's a sad thing, but the um, the neat thing is, of course, is that the Lord remembers Abraham, and when so when Lot is, or when Sodom is destroyed in uh, chapter nineteen, and if I can find it. All right, verse 29. Are you with me? Genesis 19, verse 29. And, uh, the, of course, the fire and the brimstone, they get hit there in verse 24. I don't know if that's on video or not. I'd kind of like to see that when I get to heaven. But uh, Fire and brimstone, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities, what grew on the ground. Of course, his wife looked back, turned into the pillar of salt. Abraham goes out early in the morning, went to the place and stands there and prays and he watches all of this. But verse 29, it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham. I love that. Because this is the answer to Abraham's real prayer. The prayer he never voiced. The prayer of his heart, the desire of his heart, what he wanted to say, what he never brought himself to say. 
God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Isn't that beautiful? He remembered Abraham. All right, well, there's lacking in uh, Genesis 18. The next use of lacking is uh, Exodus 16. What do you think of when you think of Exodus? Yeah, the the Exodus, right? (laughs) They're coming out of Egypt. They pass through the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. God's providing for them. And he provides them manna. He provides them, what is that? Okay? Manna means, what is that? And so he gives them, what is that? And they can eat the, what is that? And as they gather, there is no lack. And uh, so... Verse 14, there are, there's a layer of dew. Okay, verse 13, the, the quail arrives at evening. The quails come up and cover the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And we know how that works, right? There's dew in the morning. and Not so much in Texas, but in Washington, there's dew in the morning and a lot of moisture. And uh, then the layer of dew evaporates. And behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing. Bizarre description, and in even uh, the rabbis, even the, the, the Jewish legends struggle to put these terms into translation. But a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. I, I just envision frosted Pop-Tarts everywhere, right? I just, it's just a, it's a fine flake-like thing. Fine as frost on the ground. So there's the brown sugar cinnamon frosted Kellogg's Pop-Tarts. And when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Manna. So they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every much as he should eat. You and, uh, and uh, take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. All right, you're a family of four, a family of six, whatever you are, a family of twelve or whatnot, whatever you are, you got four wives and 12 children, then gather more. Um, And so the sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some gathered little. And when they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no uh, chaucer, no chaser, no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. And there you have it. Of course, no leftovers, because tomorrow... You're going to, by faith, watch God provide again. By faith, provide again. All right, so that's Exodus. Uh, 1 Samuel 21, 15. Another good use. 1 Samuel 21, 15. One of my favorite Bible verses anywhere in Scripture. I think every pastor probably quotes this verse ten times a year. Do I, do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? <laughs> do I lack madmen? Am I? Yeah, you know. Anyway. And, and it was kind of genius on David's part, probably Holy Spirit inspired, that he just acted like a total lunatic, started drooling all over his beard and all over himself and, and whatever, just acted like a like a lunatic. 
and disguised, it says, he disguised his sanity before them in verse 13. Right? This also, I hope, is on video. I want to see this when I get to heaven. Show me the replay on this one. And he acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. And Achish said to his servant, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? And there's a, a chaser use I can never forget. All right, First Kings eleven twenty two. And uh, hey, Dad. Something else I hear my kids say all the time. Hey, Dad. And so, hey, Dad, uh, in verse 19, found great favor before Pharaoh. And um, anyway, this is a fellow that, uh, hey, Dad, the Edomite, who uh, was an adversary to Solomon and found refuge in Egypt and made a political alliance with uh with, Egypt, with Pharaoh, and that's interesting because Solomon also had an agreement with Pharaoh. He'd married one of Pharaoh's daughters and uh, that. Anyway, Hadad hears that uh, Solomon is dead and he wants to, or that David, I'm sorry, Hadad heard that David slept with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead. Hadad said to Pharaoh, send me away that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, what have you lacked with me? Then behold, you are seeking to go into your own country. Why don't you just stay here, be an Egyptian? But he answered nothing. I've never lacked anything. Nevertheless, you must surely let me go. And, you know, there's some principles there too. I wonder about human contentment and about a secular way of looking at things, right? And even when you lack nothing, even when you have everything your earthly soul can desire, do you still have something missing? Is there still something that you don't have, even if you lack nothing? Is there, is there still something that, that uh, leaves you dissatisfied with where you are or who you are or what you're with or what else is happening? I find that interesting. Anyway, so those are the uses prior to Proverbs. And then 11 times in Proverbs in this idiom of lacking sense. Okay, so... Quickly, we have we can run through these six thirty two, and just make a collection of verses, print them out, <laughs> and see everything Proverbs has to say about a person that lacks sense, and you'll find uh, an assortment of things and realize that's the life I don't want, and since that's the life I don't want, I better obtain some sense, I better obtain wisdom, and, and with my wisdom obtain understanding. So 6.32, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. Chaser lev. He would destroy himself. He who would destroy himself does it. Self-destructive behavior lacks sense. It makes no sense. And, and we see it all the time in every addiction, in alcoholics, drug addiction, sex addiction, anything. You just see people, homosexuality, we see all of this. It is self-destructive and it, it makes no sense. But you can't talk them out of it. All right? Because it's a spiritual deal. All right? Anyway, there's your first one. Proverbs 6.32. 7, seven. I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. The rest of the chapter describes 
his stupid stuff. Uh, chapter 9 and verse 4. This is wisdom inviting the naive. Let him turn in here to him who lacks sense or lacks understanding. She says, come, eat of my food and drink of the wine that I have mixed. And that's not earthly food, of course. In the metaphor, this is wisdom. This is, he's going to feast on the truth of the word of God. And he won't be lacking sense very long. He won't be pethy very long. He's going to grow out of that being grounded in the truth of the word of God. Verse 16 of the same chapter. This is the invitation of the harlot. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says. And so there's a lot of poetic parallelism between the pethy and the, uh, the, the lacking sense person. In fact, most of these have uh, of these 11 uses are in parallel use. Chapter 10, verse 13. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found. Be thankful for that. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense, who lacks understanding, who is diminished in his heart. That's what it comes down to. It's a diminished heart, a fractured soul, sometimes we say. So which lips do you want? Down to verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding, for the diminished heart, for the lacking lavav. And it's kind of interesting. How many of these have we seen now where there's a contrast being mentioned as far as an alternative? Something you should be listening to, could be listening to, why aren't you listening to? And, uh, you know, the heart that, the fool that dies for lack of understanding, well, whose fault is that? It was there. Um, That's 21, down to chapter 11 and verse 12. He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silent. So many more things. Good neighborliness in these chapters. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Okay? Anyway, we'll get to chapter 11. Good practical things there for the neighborhood. Chapter 12, verse 9 and verse 11. Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than he who honors himself and lacks bread. Okay? Well, that'll take some work to unpack, but there's a use of chaser there, who honors himself and lacks bread. Same chapter to verse 11. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things, the Belials, lacks sense. And uh, remember the look to the anto slugger that we studied previously. We had the ant lessons. Chapter uh, 15 and verse 21. Folly, 15:21. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense. (laughs) We look at that and say, that's just foolish. But he enjoys every bit of it. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight. You know, it just boggles the mind sometimes. You ever, uh, you know, held somebody's hand or kept them kind of stable, wrapped around the shoulder, and and while they're... uh, vomiting and 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 uh we used to call it worshiping at the porcelain idol okay and 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 they're just recovering from the drunkenness and 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 you know and yeah you're asking them uh hey having fun still (laughs) you know no well not at the very moment of, of vomiting you're not having fun but 
is it going to change what they're doing? Are they going to do it again next Friday night? Yeah, folly is joy to him who lacks sense. Yeah, we're having fun now. 17, 18. Proverbs 17 and verse 18. A man lacking in sense pledges and becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbor. We dealt with that, didn't we, in chapter 6. That was, don't become pledged. In fact, you've got to break that pledge. It's, it's, you know, to be faithless to a pledge is, is an attack on the faithfulness of God, but it's better to endure the divine discipline for that than to endure a greater divine discipline by being unequally yoked and, and uh, a guarantor with, uh, with the neighbor. Whole realm of doctrine that we dealt with there in chapter 6. Chapter uh, 24 and verse 30. I passed by the field of the sluggard and uh, by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. <laughs> All right? We've already had, heard that song. We heard that song back in chapter 6. And, uh, you know, maybe you were singing that song, song in your teenage years, and if you're still singing it in later in life, that's what, that's what he's looking at here. Your poverty will come as a robber. Your want, like an armed man. Remember the vagabonds we looked at and the, the hobos and the vagrants and the bums and all the other we talked about in very politically incorrect fashion, consistent with what the Word of God says pertaining to those who choose not to work. Anyway, another tan of pethy and, uh, no, not pethy, sluggard. Sluggard and, and, uh, lacking sense or diminished heart. Chapter 28 and verse 16. A leader, well, let's see. There's so much here in uh, Proverbs 28. How we can uh, minister to others if we become an obstacle from somebody getting to Bible class. In verse 9, he who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. We're going to discuss that next week in Isaiah 59. How come my prayers aren't getting answered? Because you're carnal. God's not listening to you. Um, Verse 12, when the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. We live in a culture that the wicked has dominion. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. If you're not including Proverbs 28.13 right alongside of 1 John 1, nine, you don't have the right view on confession. Confess and forsake. You will find compassion. Verse 15, like a roaring lion and a rushing bear is the wicked ruler over a poor people. When we, when we have the political leaders we have, when God puts them in office, why is he doing what he's doing? Is it to bless us or is it to judge this nation? A leader who is a great oppressor lacks understanding. But he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. So factor that into your uh, voting consideration. 
That's 28.16. Finally, 31.11. We have the uh, acrostic poem that is the Proverbs 31 woman. It is an acrostic, so if you speak Hebrew, you can go through your Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth alphabet and uh, help you to memorize the verses. Um, otherwise, in English, it's not alphabetical. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And it goes on, of course, this is what she does. And uh, very industrious, very involved uh, financially in uh, her industry. The work She works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. Careful, okay? That can be insulting in English. Uh, she's like merchant ships in this way, in that she brings food from afar. She rises also while it is still night. She gives food to her household, portions to her maiden. She's hardworking. She considers a field and buys it. She's actually involved in, in real estate development. She's involved in financial matters outside the home while she's not neglecting, of course, the things inside the home. But she considers a field and buys it. Capitalism is not evil. Capitalism is biblical. It comes down to thou shalt not steal. It comes down to what is yours. And while it remains in your control, are you not free to do with it what you will? And all of the wisdom that goes into investments and savings. And, and the Lord told the, the, the knucklehead that just buried, buried the coin and said, here's your coin back. And God said, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? Could have gotten some interest on it. Not with today's interest rates, of course, but there's a concept there. And here's the thing. When you are putting wealth to use, when you are investing, you're deferring your own gratification. You're deferring your own enjoyment. You could take, you know, whatever. You could take a hundred bucks and blow it on whatever. Or you could invest it. You could put it to use. You can use it to accumulate additional wealth and so forth. And then what do you have when that return comes in? When that return comes in, because you delayed the enjoyment of it the first time around. Okay? And this is where Satan attacks and says, well, you're just greedy. You're just greedy. You've got, you're living on capital gains. You're living on investments. And you're failing to realize that what they have done is deferred the enjoyment of the use of the money they earned the first time around. And they put it to other use. They put it at their employing people. They're doing all kinds of things. It is the most biblical means to not steal, to accept, to obey the command, thou shalt not steal. At some point, I'm going to teach a biblical doctrine of capitalism to answer some of the evil that's out there, to say, well, Jesus would have us be communists. Nothing could be further from the biblical truth. So here's this woman. Why is she investing? Why, why is she bringing her food from afar? Don't you know you've got to shop local? She's not organic. What's going on here? Okay, She's bringing her food from afar. If the New Zealand apples are cheaper... Well, who wants to do that? Get the Washington State apples, okay? Ship them to Texas and get a Golden Delicious. All right, I'm almost out of time, but look at what she's doing here. She rises while it's still night, gives food to her. She um, portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. Why? 
What's the investment about? What's good about that field? From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's not out there buying the latest uh, fashions and partying with her girlfriends and doing all this other stuff. She actually receives earnings. Notice, whose earnings are they? They're hers. Notice, what, what are they called? They're called earnings. She didn't win some lottery and whatever. Life's lottery. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So she's going to take proceeds and reinvest them for further proceeds. She girds herself with strength. She makes her arm strong. She senses that her gain is good. Profit is not sinful. Her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. You know, she's still working, pulling the overtime hours. If you're a business owner, you're not calling, you're not punching the clock after 40 hours. She, uh, she uh, as it says here, her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. You know, it says, far from greedy capitalists, who are the most charitable, the most giving? Believers under biblical principles. And she wants to be charitable. She's not being taxed and forced for, the, for um, a government program. That's not charity. See, true charity is a win-win. It's a blessing to give. It's a blessing to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But Jesus Christ is honored both times if it's biblical giving, if it's biblical sacrificial love. Not if it's stealing for self-righteous purposes. So she extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Notice she's not extravagant, but she's manufacturing these things herself. herself. Her husband is known in the gates. Now why does he have a reputation? Why does she not have a reputation? Why does he have a public presence among the in public life? what the uh, Romans called the res publica, in public life. Why doesn't she have a name in public life? Why isn't she known in political circles? Well, she actually is. She's known because he's known. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And it goes on. Well, I'm out of time. Um, Anyway, someday. Guess what? This is... uh, where, where are we in chapter 7 now? So, rapture pending. We'll get to chapter 31. One way or the other. Alright, next week we'll come back and we will see how the problem with her. He takes the way to her house. Who's her? <laughs> yeah, we'll deal with that. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness for the time of your truth. We thank you for being faithful in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.